Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. Now, grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. Welcome back. The date is April 1912. The place is on board RMS Titanic. You are on board the most luxurious ship, the largest man-made object the world knows. Your assignment is to identify characters who have also boarded the opulent ocean liner, but not to admire its teakwood or handmade carvings. This is the Titanic Card Sharps. Sharks have come aboard. Part 2 of 2. Let's recap Part 1. You learned how Titanic was to sail from Southampton, England to New York with stops at Cherbourg, France and Queenstown, Ireland. From Queenstown, there were over 2,000 miles to cover before arrival at New York, USA. Plenty of time to fleece rich passengers out of their savings, their cash, and it was ripe for card sharps. At the time, they were called card sharps. Card sharp was British English, while card shark is the slang in American. The definition is the same, a professional card player skilled in cheating at card games. On the journey, you met two known card sharps who were wandering Titanic's decks and taking seats usually in the first-class smoking rooms, where the card games were being played with big money. That's where the money was, where liquor flowed, along with talks of business. And on April 11, 1912, the Titanic departed Queenstown with 1,308 passengers and 898 crew members. You met Charles Romain, a first-class passenger. He engages in gambling on the ship. And you met George Brittenton, another notorious gambler and swindler. He's also playing cards, swindling rich men out of money at the card tables. Now, nothing has ever been reported officially, but knowing this is what Charles and George do, it is certain they probably made some money, and not all legally. On April 15, 1912, four days into her maiden voyage, RMS Titanic struck an iceberg and, in a few hours, sank into the North Atlantic Ocean. More than 1,500 people died with the ship. 706 people survived. Both Charles Romain and George Brittenton survived. Survivors were rescued the next day by the ship named Carpathia and taken to New York. On the deck of the Carpathia, George cooked up an elaborate scheme to steal a man's money once they arrived in New York. The Mark discovered it was a rip-off and left before it could go down, after giving both George and his accomplice each a sound beating. After the Titanic disaster, it appears Charles became a law-abiding, honest citizen. Eventually, so would George. In 1922, Charles was struck and killed by a taxi cab. In 1942, George committed suicide. We ended the last podcast with an introduction to a fellow listed on the passenger list as H. Haven. 
Mr. Harry Haven Homer boarded Titanic at Cherbourg as a first-class passenger. He was probably dressed for the part, and that no one would guess Harry had an extensive criminal record, and just as many aliases as are Charles Romaine and George Bretonton. In 1906, Harry was described as age 34, standing at 5 foot 9 and weighing 180 pounds, and of medium height and short build. He had blue eyes, sandy hair with a florid complexion. He had a mole above his left eyebrow and boasted several tattoos. Now, during this time frame, tats were usually reserved for sailors, thugs, circus performers, and <clears throat> loose women. Ah! They were worn by the lower half of society. The U.S. Album of Criminals lists the following for Mr. Harry H. Homer. For 1901, as Harry H. Dillon, he was arraigned at Buffalo, New York in August, charged on suspicion, and given so many hours to just leave the city. As Harry Homer, he was arraigned in Cleveland, Ohio in December and charged with grand larceny. In 1905, as Harry Homer, he was arraigned in Cincinnati, Ohio in December, charged with loitering. In 1906, he was charged as Harry Homer, alias Harry Dillon, and he was arraigned in Hot Springs, Arkansas in April, and that charge was dismissed. And he was listed as a pal of a known ne'er-do-well, a Mr. Chappie Moran, M.H. Monk, A.J. Poindexter, a Thomas Gleason, and a Frank Smith. In 1908, Harry found himself a guest of the New Orleans, Louisiana jail. He was charged with being dangerous and a suspicious character. The Times Detroit, November 24, 1908 issue continued to report, Homer is said to have had his picture in the local rogues gallery and has been arrested in various cities in connection with wiretapping, pocket picking, and other alleged crooked work. Homer was emphatic in declaring that he had stopped off only a few hours while en route to San Antonio, Texas. Harry told anyone who asked he was working for a Texas-based land company. He toured Europe, then Egypt, and at Cherbourg, Harry clutched a first-class passenger ticket. He registered himself as E. Haven. One story has Harry playing a game of eight-handed poker in the lounge when the Titanic struck the iceberg. Charles Romaine was in the same room playing the game. No one took the crash seriously until staff came rushing in. It was Titanic, after all. What could go wrong? Like so much of Titanic history, there are various accounts as to how Harry escaped the sinking. One story has him disguised as a woman. But escape he did on the night of April 15, 1912, when the RMS Titanic struck the iceberg. Harry Homer most likely rode away from the ship in lifeboat 15. And then he made the papers again. An unknown newspaper printed the following. Mrs. Louise Logston, 35, the Eugenia Flats, has received a letter from her brother, Harry Haven Homer, one of the survivors of the Titanic, saying that he is suffering from the nervous shock occasioned by the disaster and that he intends taking a trip to San Antonio, Texas for his health before returning to his home here. Now, do you think a man would change his ways after such a horrific time? 
If you are Harry Haven Homer, the answer is no. Harry survived the disaster of Titanic and was in for a disastrous future. 1914 found him in handcuffs in Toledo, Ohio, and the court handed him two years in the federal pen in Atlanta. You might know one of Harry's accomplices. This is from the January 30, 1915 edition of the Cincinnati Inquirer. Toledo, Ohio, January 29th. Five men were convicted in the United States District Court here today of having defrauded two farmers by the use of a fake wire scheme. The following were sentenced. Harry H. Homer, alias Boulder, alias Baldwin, of Indianapolis. George A. Brittenton, alias Banning, of New York. Same sentence. Bertha Hathaway, of Chicago. John C. Arthur, of Dayton. John J. Mickey Shea of Toledo and New York. The men were arrested on charges made by a farmer of Pontiac, Michigan, that he had lost money on an imaginary horse race. April 1914 found Harry married to a Marie Hanscom, and it was not her first marriage either. She was a banker's daughter, but some good girls like bad boys. It's possible she was mixed up in his mess, but with the use of aliases and the criminal record system being what it was at the time, it's really difficult to know a lot of details. Harry could not stay on the up and up. In September 1915, he was arrested in San Francisco as being the mastermind of another wiretapping scheme. The South Bend News Times on September 30, 1915 reported, Harry, Homer, and gang made $8,000 by wiretapping. San Francisco, September 30th. Harry Homer, known over the world over as a swell gambler and who was supposed to have been lost on the steamer Titanic, is under arrest here today. Peter Malkovis, a fruit dealer, caused his arrest, claiming that Homer was the guiding spirit of a wiretapping scheme. According to Malkovis, Homer and his gang permitted him to win $20,000 and then induced him to play until he had lost that and $8,000 more. Homer is said to be wanted in Toledo and several cities in the East on charges of obtaining money by fraud. The Chicago Tribune, November 12, 1915 issue reported, Harry Homer, said by the police to have a long criminal record, was taken into custody yesterday by detectives who told him he was suspected of planning to work a wiretapping game on a Major B. Shaw Wood of the British Army who is at the Congress Hotel seeking supplies in Chicago for his government. He said he had bought a ticket for Cleveland when he read of the plot with which he was credited. The police are thinking of something to charge him with. Harry's name popped up again in Mineral Wells, Texas and Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1919. He was using the last name of Logsdon, which was, by the way, his sister's married name, and he was also using the last name of Brewster. A swindle scheme went bad, and Harry was again arrested. Mr. Harry Haven Homer traveled the world, living in several different countries, and he surfaced, according to the San Francisco Examiner of May 18, 1926, Harry H. Homer was arrested along with an accomplice. Harry told the cops he was an Indiana farmer, but police knew he was wanted in Los Angeles and New York. Sure, Harry admitted, he had been pinched during the exposition in 1915 for vagrancy. He was once a bad man, but now he was just a good old farmer. 
Each of the men had about $300 when arrested, and both were unusually well-dressed, the San Francisco Examiner added. Harry lived in Hamilton, Ohio for a time. He would die in Manhattan, New York, February 1939. Gone was the scheming, the card games, the fake horse races. No one knows how much or who he fleeced aboard Titanic. Alvin Thompson should be mentioned here as his name often comes up when discussing the Titanic card sharps and hustlers. Alvin actually has no connection to the ill-fated voyage and never set a foot aboard the ship. His nickname was Titanic Thompson because, as EncyclopediaTitanic.org explains, this name was given to him subsequently for his roles in several gambling disasters. And there were the scammers who took advantage of the sinking ship, like rats, whose names are mostly lost to history. People like Walter Belford, who claimed to be the chief baker on the ship. He told a story how he had spotted a bottle of scotch whiskey and taking gulps of it all night saved his life. The story is actually implemented in so many Titanic books and movies, but is it true? To find out the real story, go to www.encyclopediatitanica.org slash unlisted passengers and crew. When I initially saw this last story, I thought of two things. One, it was interesting to be connected to a historical event I have found fascinating for years. And two, it sounds like the Yates family. It seems a man named Jay Yates, a notorious thief and scoundrel, was traveling on Titanic first class. He was using the name J.H. Rogers. Now, this was kind of another charm, as Rogers was the name of one of my favorite professors in undergraduate school. The story goes that when the RMS Titanic struck the iceberg that April night, Rogers, a.k.a. Yates, helped women and children into the lifeboats. As one woman climbed in, aided by this gentleman, he handed her a note. He pled, If you are saved, please find her and give this to my sister, a Mrs. Adams. There was no guarantee that people stuck in a lifeboat and pushed out to sea would even be located and saved during this time in history. Lifeboats were mainly used to move from one ship to another. The survivors were in the middle of the North Atlantic Ocean. The water was about 28 degrees Fahrenheit. Anything less than 32 degrees can lead to hypothermia, then death. Would the survivors even survive? The letter handed over to the woman read simply, If saved, inform my sister, Mrs. J.F. Adams of Finlay, Ohio. Lost. Signed, J.H. Rogers. But the woman was saved upon the Carpathia's arrival. Once in New York, she sent the note to the New York World newspaper along with a note of her own. You will find note that was handed to me as I was leaving the Titanic. I'm stranger to this man, but think he was a card player. He helped me aboard a lifeboat, and I saw him help others. Before we were lowered, I saw him jump into the sea. If picked up, I did not recognize him on Carpathia. I do not think he was registered on the ship under his right name. It was considered a hero story. Evil man turns good at the final hour, chooses others' lives over his own. It was even featured in the film A Night to Remember, which was based off of Walter Lord's book. 
This book was considered the first complete, most accurate book of Titanic for its time, but this story, none of it was true. See, Jay Yates was a con man, and he was a gambler with a rap sheet probably as long as Titanic. Cops were looking for him in New York, and it was not to give him awards for bravery. When Carpathia picked up her last Titanic survivor, news had already reached the world that Titanic was gone, but it was sketchy. Some headlines screamed that all were saved, others not as hopeful. Carpathia's trip to New York was slowed by storms and fog beginning early April 16th. Carpathia came chugging up the Hudson River on a very cold and rainy New York evening, April 18th. She bypassed Pier 54, her own dock, and into Pier 59, the berth where Titanic should have arrived. This was many things for many people. It was opportunity for Jay Yates, who created the note, If saved, inform my sister, Mrs. J.F. Adams of Findlay, Ohio. Lost. Signed, J.H. Rogers. And then he wrote the letter that he would send to the New York World newspaper, which he signed, Survivor. J. Yates, alias J.H. Rogers, had faked his own death. Not only did he scam White Star Line, the Titanic, and its passengers and people, but all the world, for the news traveled about the valiant efforts of a card sharp saving women and children. He probably would have gotten away with it, except for some pesky meddling flatfoots. J. Yates, a.k.a. J.H. Rogers, was arrested in Baltimore, Maryland, just a few months after Titanic sank. Jay was using yet another alias. He was wanted for mail fraud. True story is, cops didn't buy his lost-at-sea story. Yet today, you can still find varying reports about Mr. Jay Yates and his fake story, the confidence man who turned good at the time of need. Which means, 112 years later, Jay Yates is still, in a way, faking his death. This was a better scam than anything by Charles Hallis Romaine, George Brittenton, and Harry Haven Homer on Titanic. And Jay was not even on the ship. Part of this research came from Encyclopedia slash Titanic Org. National Geographic, the Titanic Historical Society, SmithsonianMag.com, and I would like to thank the Titanic Museum of Pigeon Ford, Tennessee, for their assistance. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please sign in to be a patron, and be safe out there. Best True Crime Games announces its premier game, Survive the Titanic, the card game. In this game, you will meet survivors, gather equipment, and relive history. This card game combines skill and strategy with history and lore. But will you survive? The object of the game is to collect a set number of survivors and pieces of equipment into your lifeboat before Titanic sinks. But don't add luggage and watch out for those SOS cards. Just like an iceberg, the speed of a ship, or weather conditions, certain cards can change your plans in one turn. The RMS Titanic was the most luxurious ship to sail the oceans, the largest man-made object on Earth in her time.
On April 10, 1912, the Titanic set sail for her maiden voyage to New York. On April 14, Titanic struck an iceberg. Two hours and 40 minutes later, she disappeared into the sea, taking 1,496 souls to the bottom of the ocean. Now you can travel back to 1912 and this exciting, engaging card game. As the game moves along, you will learn fascinating facts about the Titanic passengers that don't often make headlines, collect vital life-saving equipment from 1900s ocean travel, and discover objects on the RMS Titanic manifest. The game is also a memorial to those lost in the hopes you will allow their legacy to live on. Some proceeds will be donated to a nonprofit organization that supports this mission. For more information, go to www.besttruecrime.com and click on Games. Now, boarding passes, please. Boarding passes. Thank you for joining me on this investigation, exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation, $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. Just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.